0: We are in the middle of chapter 24 still, which is actually a very long chapter and very involved and we're trying to bring this point home. We need to get in touch with our deepest, deepest self to understand that we never want to violate our core. We never want to violate our core. We never want to violate our essence and we have to understand how every time a person does a sin, they transgress a violation, they're going against their deepest self. And they are doing what they never wanted to do. What they would be giving up their life for. So we said we came to the point where we said there's no difference between any avera and another. Every single avera is like idol worship. There's no difference at all. And um, we went through the levels of how distant a person is when they transgress, when they violated transgression. We said they are in a state of complete separation from hashem's oneness even more than the forces of evil the klepa and the sitra achra because the klepa and the sitra achra these spiritual forces never rebel against hashem while this man who doesn't aver this person who doesn't avera sunders hashem from himself from hashem's oneness in total separation okay so the klepa never rebels against hashem but this man does rebel against hashem Furthermore, we said that not only is he more further from Hashem than the klipa and the sitra Akhura, he is even more further from Hashem than the unclean animals which derive their nurture from the klipa and the sitra Akhura. These are physical beings in the physical world. Remember, the klipa is spiritual and it does not have a physical manifestation, so it still sees its source. But physical beings in this physical world do not see their source. So you would think that those things that come are nurtured from these spiritual forces of evil in a physical form, they would be worse than the person who is violating Hashem's command. But no, he is on a lower level. He receives his nurture at the time of the sin from a lower level than all the unclean creatures, even the that. The nat representing the lowest, lowest level of klipa in that it's machnis fe'enai maitzi. It takes in and it doesn't excrete. It is the furthest from holiness. It's the exact opposite of holiness. It doesn't give anything to anybody, not even to those close to itself and not even those that things that are extra to it. And we said that wild animals, although they themselves do not are not in tune with Hashem's will, but even though they do not perceive it, their spirit perceives it. And that, an animal, a ferocious beast in this world, never violates Hashem's will, never deviates from its intended purpose. It is only the person that sins, that he deviates from his intended purpose. He violates Hashem's will. He is the most far from Hashem than all of these beings and all of these forces. So now we have a question, and this question came up already twice, and that is, come on, are you gonna tell me there's no difference between one of Avera and another? Get real. We even in the Torah it seems that there is a difference between one avera and another, and that's exactly what we're going to address right now. So we are on page. I'm sure, somebody will remind you before I say it. Seven. Thank you very very much. We are on page seven. Uma shapikuach nefesh, daicha shar true we find a principle that saving a life overrides other prohibitions, though not the prohibition of idolatry. So too, the law sometimes calls for one to commit a transgression rather than be killed. Whereas with idolatry, incest, and murder, the law requires that he submit to death rather than commit any one of the three. This would seem to indicate that the Torah itself distinguishes between idolatry and most other commandments. While the Rebbe previously stated that the adulteress who makes such a distinction has been blinded by a spirit of folly. For in reality, every sin tears one away from Hashem in the same way as idolatry. In the following paragraph, the Altaraba states that there is no contradiction here. The requirement or non-requirement to sacrifice one's life for prohibition does not reflect its intrinsic worth. So in general, we have a principle that saving a life overrides most transgressions. If a person needs to save somebody's life and therefore they need to feed them non-kosher food, if they need to desecrate the Shabbos, we say save their life and it overrides transgressions, except for three, and that is murder, Idol worship and adultery. For those three, a person needs to be killed and not transgress. So we're saying there's a distinction here. In some in most instances, a person should not give up their life. While in these three instances, a person must give up their life. So there has to be a distinction. The Torah itself makes a distinction. Okay, so the al now explains. This fact that saving a life overrides other prohibitions is because, as the sages explain, the Torah declares, desecrate one Shabbos for his sake so that he may live to observe other Shabbatot. When the medical treatment of a patient involves an activity forbidding, forbidden on Shabbos, the Torah requires that we desecrate the Shabbos to cure him so that he may live to observe Shabbos in the future. Thus, the precept of Shabbos has not been waived in the face of an external consideration. It is in interest of the Shabbos itself, the patient's future observance of Shabbos, that we desecrate this one Shabbos for him. So why are we desecrating Shabbos for him? Our Chachamim say, desecrate this one Shabbos for him so that he may go on to live and observe future Shabbos. So actually, it's not life that's overriding Shabbos. It's Shabbos that's overriding Shabbos. It's in the interest of Shabbos that we are saving the person's life so that he may go on to live and fulfill other precepts. Now, it's not just Shabbos itself. You know, the Meiri explained that even if he lives just a little bit longer, maybe he won't live to, to another Shabbos. We're sure that this person, God forbid, is not going to live more than a few hours. So why save his life? He won't be able to keep another Shabbos. But... For that small amount of time that he will be able to live, he might be able to come closer to Hashem by doing teshuva in his heart. And that's like keeping another Shabbos. Basically, it's for the perpetration of mitzvahs. Keeping him alive is not in violation of Shabbos. It's in the perpetration of Shabbos. It's bitulai hu kiyumai. Desecrating it is actually keeping it. In line with this, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories from the Hasidic masters, the brothers Reb Zusha of Anapoli and Reb Ali Malach of Lijansk. And they used to wander around in exile. They looked like itinerant beggars. And they did this for self-refinement and also to encourage their fellow brethren who lived in such poverty and de- generally were downtrodden. And so one time they invoked the wrath of a real beggar who got them thrown in prison for the night and in the middle of the night Rabbi awakes to his brother Elimelech crying and he said why are you crying and he said look in this cell that we are there's a pot of human waste this is where the inmates use the toilet and the Jewish law is that we cannot pray in a room with this terrible smell and so He said don't pray the same god who said pray to me connect to me by praying said connect to me by not praying in this kind of situation when you you are not praying because hashem said don't pray you're connecting to hashem by not praying in this situation in this situation not praying is like praying it has the same act it has the same effect prayer is an act of connection and in this instance not praying as the act of connection. And Rabbi Eli Melech was moved with the inspiration of, wow, this is a new way that I can serve Hashem. And in his ecstasy, he began to dance. And he started to dance. And where is he dancing? He's dancing around the pot. That brought him so much joy and a new revelation of how he can be closer to Hashem even in such circumstances. And his brother begins to dance with him. And they are dancing. And with the joy, the other inmates begin to dance. So they're dancing and they're dancing. And one of the cell keepers hears this commotion and says, what's this going on? And he stop this and nobody's stopping. They're all dancing. So he pulls aside one of the prisoners and says, why are you guys dancing? You're going to be in trouble. Because no, it's not me. It's the Jews. <laughs> the Jews got us all to dance. He said, why are you dancing? Because I don't know, but it has to do something with this pot. He says, this is what's making you so happy. We'll uh, take the pot out of here. <laughs> Pull the pot out of here. And Reb Zusha turns his brother, Reb Eli Melech, and says, Reb Eli Melech, now you could dab it. <laughs> so sometimes not keeping the mitzvah is fulfilling the mitzvah. So we're saying there's some mitzvahs that are more important, some mitzvahs are less important. Because for Shabbos, we, we oh, Shabbos, life overrides Shabbos. But when it comes to the three averas of idol worship, of incest, or, or murder, a person has to be killed instead of violate those. So there has to be a difference. So first of all, the fact that um, saving a life overrides Shabbos is because this is the interest of Shabbos itself. By not keeping Shabbos this time, you're giving the opportunity for the person to keep Shabbos in the future. And it is not because of the re- relative leniency of the Shabbos or the gravity of the sins as idolatry that one is waived while the other is not. And the Altarab is going to support this contention by saying the following This contention is supported by the following fact Violation of Shabbos is a grave offense and comparable to idolatry with regard to the law of shechita by anyone who habitually violates a particular precept as codified in Yerodeah section 2. There the Shilchan Arach states that one who regularly desecrates Shabbos is unfit for shechita, as though he habitually practiced idolatry. So in general, the law is that if a Gentile slaughters an animal, it's not kosher. What if a Jewish person acts like a Gentile? What if he rejects the entire Torah? His ritual slaughter is also not kosher. He's still Jewish, but we cannot eat from his shechita. If if he doesn't keep the Torah, and he slaughters the animal...
1: But even though in the right way...
0: Even if he slaughters it the right way. If the Gentile slaughters it in the right way, or the Jewish person slaughters the animal in the right way, but he doesn't keep the Torah, his shechita is not kosher. But what if he keeps most of the Torah, but he is a mumr la davr That means that he habitually transgresses one of the Averis. So it depends. For the most part, his shechita is still acceptable. But there's two sins that if he habitually violates these two sins, his shechita is not kosher. One of them is public desecration of Shabbos. If he publicly desecrates Shabbos, his shechita is ritually unfit, just like that of a Gentile. Similarly, if he serves idols, his shechita is unfit, just like that of a Gentile. Masha Ankane. Talk about serving idols. Is any Here we're talking about the literal act of serving idols. Here we're, we're trying to say, is there a difference? Can I pass you one of these? So happy to have you back. <laughs> Here we're talking about the literal act of serving idols. Okay, now we're because we're trying to see. Isn't there really a difference between one of you and another? So we're looking at them. Well, let's see. For most of the Torah, a person needs to transgress those violations rather than give up life. A person can't just say, well, um, they're stranded on an island and all there is is not kosher food, they're going to die and they're not going to eat kosher, they're just not going to. You say, no, that's not the case. The halacha is, they're in a state of starvation, there's nothing else to eat. They're allowed to eat the non-kosher food to save their life. The halacha is not that they die and not eat the non-kosher food. But there's three averas that a person cannot cannot transgress even if it means giving up their life and that is idol worship, that is adultery and that is murder. So you could say okay, so the Torah distinguishes between one sin and another. There's these three very grave sins and then there's the rest of the Torah. These three grave sins a person must give up their life rather than transgress. <laughs> the rest of the Torah they do not have to give their life and not, nor should they give up their life so in order is to transgress. Literal
1: idolatry?
0: literal idolatry is bowing down to an idol. Serving serving a foreign god. That's literal idolatry. So then you could say, okay, then it's these three, but then we're saying, one second, let's look at an, another scenario. A person who acts like a Gentile, as far as the whole Torah is concerned, his ritual slaughter is not kosher. What if he only neglects one of the mitzvahs on a regular basis? Well, it depends what that mitzvah is. If it's public desecration of Shabbos, he, his ritual slaughter is not kosher. But Shabbos, a person would would violate and not give up their life for Shabbos. And what if it's idol worship? The same. The idol worship is, if they worship idols, their ritual slaughter is not kosher. Now, a habitual sexual offender, on the other hand, does not have the same law applied to him as a habitual idolater, indicating that the violation of Shabbos is graver than sexual offenses. Now, a person has to give up their life and not commit adultery. They don't have to give up their life for Shabbos, right? But yet, if a person habitually violates um, immoral relationships, he still his his ritual slaughter can still be kosher. So, so what is this? How this seems so different, right? We're, so we're trying to say it. there's not one scale over here. There's different considerations within each category. Now you should know that generally speaking. Life overrides everything except for those three. That's only in order to save a Jew's life. Like if a Gentile says he wants his field plowed today and today happens to be Shabbos, and he says if he doesn't plow his field, if the Jew doesn't plow his field, he's gonna kill him, the Jew should plow his field. However, if, if it's a time specifically against Judaism, that they're saying it, not because of the Gentile's personal benefit, I want my field plowed, but actually he's saying give up your Judaism and plow the field, in those situations, a Jew must give up his life, because he's he's turning his back on Hashem and he's accepting another master. In fact, the Talmud tells us that it's even as far as tying a sandal strap. If the reason why he needs to change his usual method of tying his sandal strap is in order to accept the Gentile practice and turn his back on Hashem, even for such a small custom, as Jew is supposed to be giving up his life. Because it's here is is it about about Hashem or not? But here we're talking about, not about turning their back on Hashem, it's for saving a life. For every other Avera, a person must transgress in order to save life except for those three, idol worship, adultery, and murder. And yet within these three we find differences when it comes to ritual slaughter, uh, Shabbos, and idol worship makes the person like a Gentile. And yet, Shabbos, a person will violate in order to save life. And, and when it comes to ritual slaughter, somebody who is immoral and does not has immoral relations that he's not allowed to have, his shechita is considered kosher, even though it's not kosher as far as Shabbos and idol worship is concerned. So we see that there's no one scale of determining the gravity or the leniency of sins. Yet, the consideration of life overrides Shabbos, but not the sexual prohibitions. Thus, it cannot be argued that the requirement to sacrifice oneself for the sexual prohibitions is due to their gravity, for we see that the desecration of Shabbos is even greater than them with regard to Shechita. Hence, we must conclude that the laws governing sacrifice are no measure for the relative gravity of the mitzvahs. Now, because we can ask a question. If, hi, didn't see you come in. If we're saying that the consideration of Shabbos itself is what asks us to violate Shabbos, then we should say the same thing about those three grave sins. In order to keep... Uh, from, from serving idols in the future, maybe a person should buy, bow down to the idol once so that from from then on, they can go on to affirm Hashem's greatness. Maybe in order to be careful from immoral relationships, a person should violate it once to save his life, and then for the rest of his life, he will not have immoral relations. And similarly with, with murder. Well, actually, murder is different, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So we're, we're saying that, logically, it would make sense. But... It's a it's scriptural decree. It would make sense. The only reason why a person has to give up their life and not serve idols, a person has to give up their life and not commit adultery, is because this is Hashem's decree. We can't understand it. Logically, why can't, we, why can't a person transgress it in order to further the mitzvah itself, in order to keep this mitzvah many, many more times? Why doesn't he preserve his life? And, and then in the future, he will be able to keep the mitzvah many more times. When a person refrains from transgressing, an Avera, a, a transgression, a violation, it's the same as keeping a mitzvah. Every time a person keeps a mitzvah, they draw down new divine energy into the world. At the same time, anytime a person has a temptation and doesn't succumb, they draw down a new divine energy into the world. So when a person refrains from violating a prohibition, it would be that they're keeping it. So why don't they then go ahead and violate it once so that they can preserve their life and then for the rest of their life be careful and that's, it's because Now a few things I want to say over here First of all, the Alter Rebbe here Is not coming to say that there's absolutely No such thing as lighter sins and graver sins There are de- As lighter sins and graver sins There are definitely, definitely is a difference There's such a thing in the Torah As something that's called a light sin And something that's called a grave sin We find it all the time in In uh, Talmudic writings, but this is considered, these are the mitzvahs that are considered the light ones, these are committed mitzvahs that are considered the grave ones. The light ones are the ase and leisase, those that are the standard prohibitions or mitzvahs, those are considered light. And the ones that are, carry the penalty of excision or death at the hands of heaven, those are considered to be the more severe ones. There's 36 sins that carry that severe um, punishment of and actually one of them is Shabbos, just by the way. <laughs> so what the altar is coming to bring out here is the reason why some mitzvahs are supposed to be violated in order to preserve life while others, in other cases, certain transgression a person is not allowed to violate and instead they must give up their life is not because these averas separate a person from Hashem and these averas don't separate a person from Hashem. In that respect, every single mitzvah is the same. There is such a thing as lighter and graver mitzvahs, as far as the penalty goes and the effect on the divine soul, but as far as ripping a person apart from Hashem, they are all the same. So I want to make it clear that there are lighter and graver mitzvahs, but that's in respect to the effect on the soul. As far as ripping a person apart from Hashem, they are all the same. There's a story of the Radbaz. The Radbaz was a Spanish-born Jewish rabbi, very, very famous, Talmudic sage, Rabbi David ben Shlomo ibn Zibra. He was actually a teacher of the Arizal. He, he lived a very long life, like 93 or 94 years. He passed away in Svat. And somebody wrote to him. He was sentenced to prison for life by the king. And the king granted him that he can come out one day so he can be free to practice his Judaism. So he asked the Radbaz, which day should I come out? Should I come out on Pesach so I can eat matzah and have the seder? Should I come out on Rosh Hashanah so I can hear the shofar? And do you know what he answered him? He said, come out on the first day that you can. It's not up to you to choose between mitzvahs. We don't know. The, the, the greatness or the smallness of any mitzvah. The greatness and smallness of any mitzvah is only up until a certain scale. Do you know that there's a principle like this? Ha'ayseik b'mitzvah patur min ha'mitzvah. The Talmud tells us that a person who is busy with one mitzvah is exempt from another mitzvah. For example, if someone is on the way to ransom captives, they don't have to eat in the sukkah. Because they're busy with one mitzvah, they don't have to keep another mitzvah. There is a lot of halachic um, discussion as to when this principle does apply and when this principle doesn't apply, if it's not going to anyway take away from the mitzvah. But there is this general principle, and the Ravman brings this down. Ha'aisik mitzvah patr min on the Mishnah. The Mishnah in Perkiravah says like this. Ha'vei zahir be kal kala ha'mura. Be as careful as you, with a light mitzvah as you are with a stringent mitzvah. And over here, the Ramah makes this comment that essentially, there, there is a difference, but essentially, on one point, they're all the same. And actually, the Valshamta speaks about this line from the Mishnah, Havei zahir b'mitzvah kal Be careful. Zahir means be careful, but it also means shining or light. There's two aspects to every mitzvah. There's the infinite aspect, and there's the finite aspect of the mitzvah. As far as the infinite aspects, the zahir, the light, they are all the same. Every single mitzvah is the will of Hashem. In that respect, there is no difference between one mitzvah (coughs) and another. A man who is locked up in jail and needs to come out and who wants to choose a day, run. Grab the first day that you can. They're all the same. Every mitzvah is the will of Hashem. (coughs) And then there's the way that mitzvahs are different. And that is as far as it comes down in a vessel. How a person is in a physical world of time and space and he acts upon those, the world and how the amount of refinement that it achieves. In that physical respect, in that finite aspect, they are different. But if you go up a level higher, every single mitzvah, no matter which one, is the will of Hashem. They are all the same. And that's why I say, somebody who is busy with one mitzvah doesn't stop it to do another mitzvah because they're all the will of Hashem the same thing with an Avera. To, to translate this principle over to an Avera, every single Avera, every single transgression rips a person apart from Hashem. I don't care which one, a grave one or a light one, every single Avera means turning a person's back on Hashem. And like I quoted from Rabbi Shtenzel's last time, he's an incredible example of the time of war. Time of war, every single transgression could, could create a collapse in the entire system. The tension is so great that it doesn't matter if a person forgets to say the right passcode or if the person is acting as a spy. At that point, the whole system is, rests on him and he could be responsible for the loss of the war. So at that moment, all a person has to ask themselves, when a person is faced between transgressing or not transgressing, it's really all about one question. Are they on Hashem's side? Do they choose holiness or do they choose flipa? It doesn't matter which Avera it is. It's all about whose side are you on at that moment. And that's why we have to understand from this higher perspective, every single Avera, every single mitzvah is the same. Every single mitzvah means fulfilling Hashem's will. They're all the same. And every single Avera means turning a person's back on Hashem, ripping themselves apart from Hashem. And from that perspective, they're all the same. There's no such thing. From that respect, there's no such thing as lighter and graver. Sure, there is such a thing as lighter and graver. I don't want to say there's no such a thing. There is such a thing. But from that respect, in that they're all the will of Hashem, there is no difference between idol worship and anything else. And so this woman who's committing adultery, which is actually a very serious sin, but this woman who is committing adultery and at the same time would never bow down to an idol and would rather die than bow down to an idol is overcome by insanity, just like every single person who would do some type of transgression and yet would not bow down to an idol. They're making, They're having a confused conception. They're cloudy-minded. They're not thinking clearly. Idol worship rips a person away from Hashem, and every single avera rips a person away from Hashem. Isn't that tragic? It's just. It's painful. It should hurt. You should say, "I don't want to do it." They are simply a matter of scriptural decree. Oh, we already said this, right? Yeah. Ella shela achar so now we're going to say, okay, this is where the difference comes in. There is a difference, and that is after the sin has been committed. Just like during the war, a person's head could get chopped off for anything. Their head could get chopped off for, for not saying the right passcode. Their head could get chopped off for doing something very serious, like running over to the other side or deserting. But then the war is over. They didn't get killed at the time. And so now they're court-martialed, and now they can come in with all their excuses. During the war, there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. The war is over now. So now there is a difference. The guy who forgot the passcode gets a little punishment, and the guy that, you know, did treason, he has a serious punishment. So now after the sin is over, there indeed is a difference between one sin and another. Ella, She after the sinful act, however, if the sin is of the type that carries neither the penalty of karis, spiritual extinction of the soul, or death at the hands of heaven, in which case the divine soul does not completely perish and is not entirely cut off from its source in the living God except that through this sin its attachment to its source and its connection with it has been weakened somewhat. In the case of such a sin, the al Rebbe concludes, after a parenthetical note, that the animal's soul and the body can rise out of the Klippa and unite with the holiness of the Divine Soul. Okay, so in order to go into this next section, I want to first wrap up what we said until now and give an introduction to this new idea that we're saying. We started off class in the middle of the chapter saying that you think there's a difference between one avera and another. We gave all these different calculations to come to the conclusion that these calculations are not calculations that make sense to us. There's different ways of measuring and essentially there's no difference. Every single avera rips a person apart from Hashem. Now we're looking at after the fact. In order to understand this, it's important to understand something like this. Maestro Rabbeinu tells us in Parashas Hazinu, Ki Hashem amai Ya'akov Nachalase." That means, for, for, ki Hashem amai, because the Jew, Hashem's nation is a part of Hashem. Ya'akov Jacob is the rope of his inheritance. The soul has two aspects. There's the inner aspect of the soul and the external aspect of the soul. The soul as it is within the body is still a part of Hashem above. This is the aspect of the soul that is called Yaakov. Yaakov is the lower level of the soul and this is the level of the soul that relates to the body and it's from this level of the soul that we can actually perceive and understand a divine idea. This level of the soul can actually be cut off. If a Jewish person transgresses a violation that incurs the penalty of excision or death at the hands of heaven, this level of soul gets cut off. And then there's this level of the soul that's called Yisrael and this level of the soul can never get cut off. This level of the soul is essentially one. Now when we say Yaakov chavel that Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance the Alter Rebbe explains later on in Tanya in Egeris at Shuvah, chapter 5 that Jewish people, their neshama and their body is connected to Hashem like a rope. That one end of the rope is down here, another end of the rope is above. This rope is woven from 613 thin strands, and any time a person does an Avera, they rip one tiny strand. The rope itself remains intact, it's still connected, it's just that the connection has been weakened, but in in general there is this connection happening. What if a person does a sin that carries the penalty of excision or death of the hands of heaven? The rope is cut off entirely. At that point, the connection has been severed. Now, remember that there's a level of the neshama that never gets (coughs) severed. But we're talking about the level of Yaakov that is connected by this rope. And at that point, the rope has been severed. It's like a person, you know, God forbid, they lose a limb. They lose a finger or something. They lose a part of their ear, God forbid. They can continue to live. But then there's certain parts of the body that they lose and life is over. If they lose their brain, if they lose their heart, that limb is so important that life depends on it. So the same thing. Certain averis that they do cut a thin strand, but it doesn't, it the connection, but it doesn't disrupt the connection. Then certain sins that carry the penalty of excision or death at the hands of heaven, it's like cutting off the entire rope. It's like losing a heart. The connection has been severed at that level. <laughs> There are 36 sins that carry the penalty of kares. A lot of them are immoral relationships, idolatry, eating chametz on Pesach, working and eating on Yom Kippur, violating Shabbos. Those are considered the sins that carry the penalty so are, of kares. You do
2: tshuva to, to
0: absolutely. Okay. In fact, in a different Hasidic discourse, the, the Alta Rebbe explains tshuva after one of these sins as if someone reattaching their head after their head has been cut off. Medically, that's not at least, yeah, 20. it's possible getting the head back together. But anytime a person does Teshuvah, they retie the rope. And not just that, you know how when you retie something, it's stronger? Uh-huh. So when a person does Teshuvah after a sin, that connection actually becomes stronger. A person can always do teshuva. This is what the Rambam says in Teshuva. Teshuvah, it makes it very clear to us, no matter how deep and severe the sin, there's always a chance for Teshuva, no matter how severe the sin. In fact, we have to remember that there's a part of us that goes into exile and there's a part of us that never goes into exile. Like just, what was it, two weeks ago? We did the Parsha of Shemos and it says, Fe'eles Shemais b'nei Yisrael ha'ba'i These are the names of the Jewish people that came to Mitzrayim. The names of the Jewish people that came to Mitzrayim. So the Rabbi explains that it's only the names of the Jewish people that came to Mitzrayim. It's the level of their soul that's radiation that's a name. The essence of the Jew never goes into exile always remains transcendent. And this corresponds, the level that always remains transcendent, that corresponds to the level of Yisrael. There's a part of our soul that will never get cut off. That's the part that we use when we reattach the rope to Hashem after someone has been cut off through kares. So it's important to remember that while we are speaking about kares and excision and cutting the soul off, there's a level of the soul that never gets cut off. The difference between on the one hand, The sins carrying the penalty of courage or death at the hands of heaven and other sins, as is explained elsewhere, as follows. The connection of the divine soul with its godly source is comparable to a rope (coughs) woven of 613 strands, each strand representing one of the commandments. Every sin severs a corresponding strand. When one strand is broken, the entire rope is weakened, but not severed entirely. The penalty of courage or death at the hands of heaven, however, Cut the rope entirely, so to speak now the altar makes a note in the following note the altarba states that the varying degrees of severity and the punishments imposed for various sins correspond to the blemish caused by each sin the purpose of punishment is not punishment per se but purification of the soul from the blemish which sin is brought about thus the greater the planet blemish the more severe the punishment so altar is now going to explain the differences between sins and their punishment and it 's like Different illnesses require different medications. Corresponding to the extent and specific nature caused by the sin in the soul and in its source in the supernal world are the various purifying processes and punishments in purgatory or in this world, meaning the suffering of the soul in purgatory or suffering in this world, whose purpose is to purify the soul. For each transgression and sin, it's appropriate punishment for the purpose of cleansing and removing the stain and the blemish caused by that specific sin. Similarly, blemish caused by the sins carrying the penalty of death at the hands of heaven, where courage varies from one sin to another. So every sin causes a different kind of damage, and every sin requires a different kind of purification. I think it's important to stop and speak about hell from the Jewish perspective, because hell is not a punishment. It's a cleansing process. It's like telling a kid, don't stick your hands into, a, into the knife. Don't cut your hands with a knife, because then you're going to need stitches. The punishment is not the stitches. The stitches is already the healing process. The punishment is that his hand's gonna get cut. But the kid may not understand, so you say, you don't wanna go to the doctor and have to get stitches. No, no, honey, that's already the repair. The worst part is that the hand's gonna get cut. So it's the person saying, don't do a sin because then you're gonna go to hell. Hell is the best part. Hell is the repairing process. The worst part of the sin is that the person is damaging their soul and cutting themselves off from Hashem. So when we say hell, it's not like, stay away from, don't do it, you're gonna go to hell. That's besides the point. Hell is the repair. We have to remember that it's a very backwards form of thinking in Judaism. Hell is not punishment. Hell is cleansing. You say yes,
2: hell is that Gehenna. Gehenna. Um, we all hope, please God, you we know, don't, you know, come to that for hundred and twenty years. But
0: I've heard um, people say, you know, that hell is so painful, you burn, uh-huh. it's, it's, a, it's a very painful place of burning. Very, fire. very painful. It is. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so
2: even the cleansing part. The cleansing is painful. is painful. So
0: it's. Just painful. like stitches are painful. So what's painful? Stitches are painful or some type of medical procedures are painful. Taking out a root canal oh. is painful. Yeah. But what could you do? It's not a punishment. It's just a rem- remediation. And there's not one form of hell. There's there's Gehenna. show that's right. There's there's, a there's a, there's a there's a Gehenna of snow, and there's a Gehenna of fire, and it all has to do in order to the the what the damage has been caused.
1: So is a metaphor for state of consciousness? The
0: So is it a metaphor for state of consciousness? I guess it's not the kind of fire that we know, or the kind of the kind of. Uh, know that we know. But also, another way of explaining hell is the intense shame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What they, what, what, it's like looking at this. When a person comes to the next world, they're shown one picture. The picture of their potential, what they were supposed to become. And then they're shown the other picture. And this is the picture of what they actually did with those gifts. And you can imagine, after the game is over, after 120 years, and then they see, oh my gosh, this is what I could have become, and this is what I in fact did do with all those divinely endowed gifts, the intense shame is, is very, very severe. And the reason why a person goes through that actually is so that they can then go on to enjoy the divine radiance. Because so long as they are attached to the, this world, they cannot enjoy the next world. It's like even if a person was smuggled into the next world without having gone through a purification process, it would have been meaningless to them. It's like how Rabbi Steinsaltz puts it. He said, "Smuggling a guy into paradise is like smuggling a deaf man into a concert." They have no appreciation. In order these cleansing processes so that they can realize they reconfigure their values, what's important to them. As long as this world is attached to this world and they're important to this world, they don't even have appreciation of the divine pleasure. They have to first cleanse themselves of all, giving importance to the things of this world that are completely unimportant so that they can go on to achieve the best and the finest.
1: We're not talking, uh, or we are learning these in order for us to have that appreciation now. That's right. Not that, oh so so we will be cognizant of what the potentiality is right now versus
0: that's right we're not you know not some people they spend their whole life saying i'm not going to do this because then they're going to get punished no no we're we're learning all of this so that right now we put ourselves in the most advantageous position of closeness to hashem right now we realize we're in a relationship right so now
1: right now will be heaven not that, oh,
0: I'm now I'm, when I die, I exactly. go to heaven or, or to hell. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly that. So right now will be heaven. In fact, that's the blessing that the, the um, students from the Talmud would wish each other as they left the base measures. They would say, Olam chater may you see your next world in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the level that a tzaddik reaches. A tzaddik reaches already the pleasure of the next world while he's alive in this world. We achieve the same connection and sometimes even more than a tzaddik but our disadvantage is as long as we're not on the level of tzaddik we don't feel the pleasure it doesn't matter our soul feels it and it helps us a tzaddik is so aligned that even his body is in tune with the pleasure of his soul okay end of note to know exactly your potential means follow the mitzvahs of the torah you know, then you will find yeah, it. you'll find your potential. It's the first thing to say, I'll have to go to a spiritual healer and they'll <laughs> tell me what my potential is. It's like, did I ever tell you this? A man once came by the Rebbe and asked him, what's my, mitzv- what's my mission in life? And he said, the Rebbe said to him, your mission is life is to keep the Torah and the mitzvahs properly. That's our mission in life. Keep the Torah and mitzvahs properly. Then there's such a thing as your father, by m- what was he most careful with? Certain people have their mitzvah, that that's their special connection. But each of us have to keep all of the mitzvahs of the Torah, and that is our mission in life. If you keep every single one of the Torah, mitzvahs of the Torah, you should know you're fulfilling your mission in life. That's your mission. Hashem will lead you down your path so that there are certain things that you will accomplish. Hashem leads us there. You don't have to worry about it. You don't even have to seek it out. He will give you the opportunity. Just don't miss the opportunity when it presents itself to you. Okay, end of note. So to return to our original point. After the sinful act, in the case of those sins which do not carry the punishment of kares or death at the hands of heaven, the sinner's animal soul, which animates the body and is clothed in it, as well as his body itself, Return and rise from the Sitra Achra and where whereto they descended when the sin was committed, and they draw closer to the holiness of the divine soul that pervades them. So, when a person sins, remember what we said? We said that their animal soul and even their body, which the animal soul is acting through, cleaves to the Sitra Akhra and the Klippa, totally one with the Klepa and the Sitra Achra. After the perpetration of the sin, even without Teshuvah, their Animal soul rises from the impurity of the Sitra and the klipa, and it returns to be closer to the divine soul. Because you have to remember that the divine soul is infused within the animal soul. And so, naturally, the animal soul should be closer to the divine soul. It's just that during the sin, it is uniting with the klipa and Sitra achara, But after the sin itself, it rises and returns to the holiness of the Sitra achara. I'm going to stop here and wrap up what we said, because this is going to be, even though it's just a few more lines, this is going to be a, like another subject that I don't want to just rush off just because we're in a rush. So I'll close fine. for questions. Yes. Can you say that the, the, uh, it, when, it, when it, the animal soul comes back to the divine soul after the sin, so it's damaged in some way, so it's coming back a little bit tainted, right? So it's coming back a little bit. There's two things that are happening. Mm-hmm. It's the natural state of the animal soul is to be close to the Divine Soul. Why does a, then why does a person do teshuvah? They were, they used to, At the time of the sin they were connected to the Sitra achra and now after the sin they automatically return back to the holiness of the Divine Soul. Even without
1: Teshuvah.
0: Even without teshuvah. So why, have to, why do they have to do Teshuvah? For two reasons. One reason is because of course the most important part of the sin was that they rebelled against Hashem. They have to realize that we'll never want to rebel against Hashem. Teshuvah is to say one second, this was an act of rebellion even if this, the animal soul is now returning to the closeness of the holy drawing closer to the holiness of the divine soul still there was the act of rebellion they have to do Shiva to say I'm sorry to Hashem but also there is a damage that happens to the divine soul in order to repair remember we said the ripped strand in order to repair the divine soul a person needs to do Shiva. so let me wrap up what we said until now and that is Um, We started off by saying that with every sin a person becomes separate from Hashem and there essentially is no difference from one sin to another. They're all an act of turning away from Hashem just like idolatry. However, what is the difference? The difference is after the sin. After the sin there is a difference between those sins that carry the penalty of excision or death at the hands of heaven and those sins that do not. Those sins that do carry that penalty, the soul is entirely cut off. Those sins that do not, the animal soul automatically rises from the, the impurity of the Klippa and and returns to draw closer to the holiness of the divine soul. We're kind of in the middle, Would so... Would
1: understand?
0: Would who understand? Like
1: that person who did an Avera and clinged to the Sitra yeah. Now it's finished. After the fact. Yeah. And you say it rises and... Back cleans. up. Uh-huh.
0: Tell me, how do they usually feel after they did that? But they were on also, the phone with their sister, and they're they like, are, I shouldn't say this really mean thing about somebody else, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's such a juicy piece of gossip. Mm-hmm. Then they go ahead and they say it. How do they feel after they said that okay. gossip? Okay. They feel bad. Why? Okay. Because of this. Okay. Because okay. Their, yeah, divine, yeah. their animal soul is now returning back to be in a more... <coughs> close relationship oh. with their divine soul. Like, oh, this was, this was not. They're real, they're re- automatically realigned.
1: So how do we uh, control that? <coughs> like, what is the...
0: Well, do you med- remember our meditation, meditation from chapter 14? Yeah. That you have to remember, like, you, what's, gonna, what's gonna become of this. Just think, the last time I did this thing, how did I feel afterwards? Was I happy with it or I wasn't happy with it? I wasn't happy with it. So why would I go ahead and do the same thing? Idol worship. Would I go, God forbid, would a person go and bow down to an idol? No, I would never do that. A person would rather die. So this is like turning their back on Hashem. Do you really want to turn your back on Hashem? If you ask yourself, do I want to turn back on Hashem? The answer is no. So control yourself in that moment. In that moment, remember that this act rips the person away from Hashem. Do they want to be ripped apart from Hashem? Do they want to be united with the klipa and sister Achora lower than the klipa itself? That's called a vodizara. In this act, they'll be lower than the klipa that's called a the vodizara. They'll be more separate from Hashem than the klipa that's called a vodizara. But
1: even if you, uh, um, like, in that moment, be yeah. cognizant of all of these, but then do it, it's because of our ego.
0: Mm. It's because of that spirit of insanity, mm. that at the end of the day we still think there's a difference. Like, if a person does it, no. it means that they still think there's a difference. Maybe not logically, but emotionally they say this so is different. In terms
2: of ego, I mean,
0: what, what is that? Because what is ego? Ego yeah. is a selfish consciousness. A selfish consciousness is a klipa, aligned consciousness. consciousness. A, a self me. that identifies with the opposite of holiness.
1: Someone tells you something that really hurtful, uh-huh. but you, you just
0: are mad and
1: angry and you want to answer back. Yeah. But you're cognizant and say, I'm not going to say a word that would be even worse than how he feel, uh-huh. made me feel. Right. But I'm going to say it in a way um, to, to, to let him know that you hurt me. However, once Like this hurtness and this ego that uh, you have that, why am I going to even be hurt? Uh, You know? (coughs) Why should we be hurt? If we don't have that ego, that um, just know that the person who did that does not know that everything in the world is just Hashem. So what you just said is just outside of the
0: war of the Fasher. Yes. Or so, are, so to speak. Okay,
1: so to speak. So, would that?
0: So, there's a few things here. There's a few things here. There's a, one thing is how to handle these interpersonal relationships. Because the Ramam dears this it's very clearly in Hilkha's day is the laws of character development. If a person wrongs you, you need to tell them that they wronged you. But in, their in, right- in a respectful way. Second of all, as far as feeling like... As far as feeling like, this is anyway part of Hashem's plan, it reminds me of the story of this Hasidic master that a woman who was looking for her husband, she was now in a because he ran away from home. So she was tied to him. She couldn't marry somebody else, but she didn't have a get. And she didn't have a get, she could, so she was in a guna. She gets to town, and she sees this Hasidic master, and she thought that it was her husband, and she started to beat him up. <laughs> oh. And then uh, people like grabbed her away, you know, whatever. And, and like they were like trying to, and the, the rabbi said, don't worry, it wasn't me she was hitting. She was mm-hmm. hitting her husband. Mm-hmm. He didn't get upset. He didn't take the offense. He felt like the offense wasn't directed at me. It was directed at somebody. <laughs> was it her husband? Though? No, it wasn't. Know, was it, she thought it was. She thought it was. <laughs> and all that fury and that anger and that violence that she perpetrated against him, <laughs> He said, she wasn't hitting me, she was hitting somebody else. This is somebody who lives with a very, uh, no ego, totally different consciousness. So the
1: same situation, it keeps repeating. We need to understand that there's something is happening to us that we need to overcome that. Right.
0: Whatever is there, happens is, is going to keep not. happening until we learn a new way of handling it. But also, it. Yeah.
2: isn't there a message that maybe we should be hearing? I mean, things don't just happen to us, uh-huh, right? There's, right. A, there's a reason if somebody says something, maybe it's wrong and maybe it's horrible, but maybe there's a lesson we're supposed to be getting from that. How do we? There's always a
0: lesson that we're yeah, supposed so to be ha- getting there's about. There's
2: something to be said for that message to come to us.
0: So if there's like a repeat performance that keeps happening and we don't know what the message is, That's the time we need to consult with somebody who's advanced in Torah and can help us decide what the message is. So it's not just
2: an instance, it's a repeat?
0: In every situation, we should see what the divine message is. But you're saying sometimes the thing keeps happening again and again. It's like, hello, get the message. Yeah, get the message. If you can't get the message yourself, so take advice. Ask ask somebody
2: who... I'm just even saying uh, somebody says a horrible thing to you. Is that a message we should be listening to? It, Hashem just gave that to me there must be something in it for me even right. though I can't stand that person now who did yeah. that, but, but maybe there's something I should be hearing right I mean I yes there
0: is something you should be hearing whatever the message is it's up to you to know a lot of times we know by the way a lot of times we have the person we need to ask is our own self do so, you know there is a story of Uh, By the way, I'm just saying, like, I think it's already 11 o'clock, so I don't want to keep anybody who wants to leave, but a story of Reb Tzvi Hirsch Weinreb, who actually is the editor of the new revised edition of Steinsal's Talmud. So when he was in his younger years, in his 30s, he called um, the Rebbe's office. He was going through, in his inner spiritual toil, he was trying to make a decision, and he's, he's. I don't know if now he considers himself a chabad chassid, then definitely he most did not. And he called the Rebbe's office and he spoke to the secretary and he wanted to ask the Rebbe's advice. And he said he is a Jew from, I don't remember where it's from, I think it was from Maryland. And he hears the Rebbe's voice and he did not say who he was. He did not want the Rebbe to know who was calling. And the Rebbe tells the secretary, tell him that there's a Jew who lives in Maryland, his name is Wine Reb. He should ask Wine Reb. And so he was taken aback. And he said, but my name is Wine Reb. And the Rebbe said, sometimes a person needs to ask themselves. So sometimes if we get out of our ego consciousness, we say, if somebody else would ask me this question, what would I answer them? Sometimes we even have the advice for ourselves. We take ourselves out of it, pretend somebody else is asking us this same scenario how would i answer that question well, okay. <laughs> that well, helps i like people asking for advice like ask yourself what, would, what should you really be doing but usually when things bother us that uh-huh. somebody said to us or mm-hmm. I don't think it's probably true if it wasn't it would but sometimes there's an element of truth right awesome. right you know my kids say that my kids say that they say your feelings uh, only no. get hurt when somebody calls you a baby if you're actually kind of almost like a baby <laughs> but like for an adult if somebody calls them a baby, they're not offended because they know they're not a baby. And it's true. Sometimes, in that message of hurt, the reason why you're offended is there's a little bit of truth in that. When you're a little kid and somebody calls you a baby, you're still a little bit of a baby. When, when my five-year-old calls me a baby, I'm not ah, offended. Ah, <laughs> <you're> <laughs> Maybe I should be offended, <laughs> right exactly I'm not can can, to can about flattery. (Laughter say it is the biggest error to desecrate the Shabbos publicly. So, I didn't say it's the biggest Avera, okay, it's, it's one of the main okay. So people are learning and they're growing, and yeah. some people grow a lot slower than others. Right. And they're, they're, they're driving, on on not the and that's it, pretty
2: public. I mean. Right.
0: So okay. they're in a different situation, because when they come from a situation of not knowing, then Can everything they know. they're doing is, step, no, they, 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 don't, they don't know, they deeply, don't know deeply. They, they, know. they, they okay. weren't raised that way. They have to go step by step. Mm-hmm. They have to go step-by-step step so that they can grow into the process. If they take everything at once, you know those people that jump in and then they jump out. Yeah, right, easy they and ha- easy Yeah, easy and easy out. They have to let it be in a step-by-step step process. And for that, they need a, some guide to help them, you know. What are the actual, I mean, once I asked someone what are the steps of Teshuvah, uh-huh. and you're supposed to,
2: someone said to me, you're supposed to say to Hashem, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. forgive me, mm-hmm.
0: and I'll never do it again. That's right.
2: Those
0: are just the three words, or do you to do, mean? like, sadaka yep, or <laughs> more? Teshuvah, sim- simply teshuva is, I will not do it again. And you I'm sorry, the regret, and, and I, yes. And you don't yeah. do it again. It's the no. regret, and uh, it's, yeah. it for you. it's, that he says, I, 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 for bad for the past, and I won't do it again. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. That is teshuva. Of course, for a more deep teshuva then a person can do other things, to so do tika and give tzedakah and, you know, take on a certain, something special to show. That's more like, you know, giving a gift after, you know, just, just to win favor again. But simple teshuva is, I won't do it again. And that's why, you know, if somebody, if somebody betroths a woman and he says he marries her and there's a condition in the marriage. The condition is he marries her on the condition that he's a tzaddik. She marries him, and guess what? Not only is he a tzaddik, he's a full-on crook. She finds out that he's a swindler, he's a bank robber. So now, does she have to get a get? Because there was a condition in the marriage. The condition in the marriage is he's a tzaddik. Not only is it tzaddik, he's a full-on rusher. Does she have to get a get? She has to get a get because it's a possibility that he was a tzaddik at the time that she, he married her, because Shema hear her, hear her, Teshuva Belibai. Maybe at that moment he had thoughts of regret in his heart. At the moment that he married her, he was actually a tzaddik because he had thoughts of teshuva. Wow. Mm. So, so,
2: you so if, what happened to the condition?
0: Happens, so, what happened to the condition? So, he has to give her a get because misafik. There's a yeah, doubt. exactly. Maybe, most probably he's not a tzaddik. And most probably he was not even a tzaddik at the time that he married her. But there's this slight possibility that when he married her, he had thoughts of teshuva in his heart.
1: not be known so he cannot give her? He should or he not? Should or should so he should. needs to give
0: her a get. Because it's like because, a fraud. Because he, it could marriage. be a fraud. But it's a possibility <laughs> that it's a valid marriage. And therefore and so he has to give her known. a Yeah, he I know what you mean. Her it's not yes, that it
2: was a marriage.
0: Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe. Mm-hmm.
1: I will say I wanted to say that when you, you tell the story about the woman that hit the man yeah. and because she thought it was uh, her husband and you say oh never mind she didn't hit me, she thought she was hitting her husband, there is a point also but not putting denim on someone of Am Israel is like to protect, no I'm not going to be angry ag- against mm-hmm. him or no no it's okay. she thought. I was her husband. Never to hold a grudge or to want bad things, God forbid, for a
0: Jewish person. Not to put a din on Um, some on Amish. Right and that's what, that's what the Ariza we have this special prayer at Shema every single night we say every single night before we go to sleep we say Hashem I forgive everybody who got me angry who insulted me either in this lifetime or previous Gilgal because we never want somebody to be to have to undergo divine retribution due to our holding a grudge against them we, we forgive everybody we forgive every Jewish person before we go to yes. sleep. I'll send you that prayer you will love it oh, Yes it's before. very it's amazing So we done so beautiful Yes so we done for the Yes, beautiful anyway, <laughs> um, So that means even if you were uh, so hurt and angry
1: you at
2: that point I you have feel many. Good